everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up podcast. This will be a triple combination show because there is so much going on. We want to try and hit it all. At first, we will be hitting on the big win by Bayern Munich over Galatasaray in the Champions League. Then we will give you a preview of Bayern Munich versus Heidenheim, which will take place this weekend in the Bundesliga. And then finally, we'll get, we will get on to some of the big news items of the week. So appreciate you guys being flexible as we work around this nutty schedule, trying to capture everything without bombarding you and eating ourselves alive with too many podcasts. So uh, our normal formats are flipping around just a little bit as we work through this. But, uh, you know, this is one of those situations where we don't want to flood you with too many things to try and listen to. We want to try and keep everything succinct and compact. So we are just doing this for the moment. But like I've been saying, as soon as things start to clear out and schedules start to clear up, we will get back to that normal format and give you guys the, the normal cadence of podcasts that you've become accustomed to. So why waste any time? Let's jump right into the Champions League match. And I've got a lot of thoughts about this, and I know you do too, because for the majority of that match between Bayern Munich and Galatasaray, it was not good, to say the least. Uh, Bayern Munich did not come out and play with that same urgency and that same fervor that they did against Borussia Dortmund. Of course, circumstances were different. Against Dortmund, they were coming off a huge upset loss to Saarbrück in the Pokal, and coming into the Galatasaray match, they were riding a little bit high, maybe too high from going into Dortmund and really smashing up the black and yellow. So there were some circumstances in each game that were different. But what I will say is the things that we saw that Bayern struggled with throughout the majority of the Galatasaray match was that, I mean, those things were, were, were all items that we have seen across the board this season. The attack was choppy. And it looked like there was no focal point for the majority of it. We were back to seeing players opt to shoot than to play Harry Kane. We started to see Kane dropping in deeper and deeper like he was in Golo Conte, trying to get on the ball in the midfield rather than be up leading the attack. It was definitely disappointing to see the way that Byron came out and approached that match because we knew from the first leg, Galatasaray was not going to be an easy team to play against. They are a veteran team, a talented team, and they know how to play, especially at a high level against a team like Bayern Munich. This was not a team that was entering the match afraid of the big, bad Bavarians. Instead, they played exactly like you would expect them to. They challenged Bayern. They pushed the pace at Bayern. They tried to take advantage of Bayern's weaknesses. And they did a hell of a job, to be quite honest with you. I thought Galatasaray really showed that they are an excellent quality team. Now, in the end, they couldn't win either leg, I should say, either leg of their home and home with Bayern Munich. But it was very telling that Bayern struggled so much for the majority of the match, especially the second time around. After the first match with Galatasaray, you would, you would think that Bayern would be accustomed to what they were going to see and know what was going to happen. They didn't appear to do that. So the offense was choppy. The midfield, I thought, was okay. The defense, while solid, definitely still showed some of those positional and awareness things that we have become uh, normalized to seeing back there. So it wasn't 
it's it's funny to say it wasn't horrendous, but it wasn't great either. And I will say the first half had me thinking, all right, this is pretty bad. Then midway through the second half, I was like, wow, this is transitioning to horrific. But just when I was about to 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 throw down and say this is a, a, a total debacle of a match, Bayern Munich did come through. So let's take a walk through exactly what happened. We got through that first half. The, of course, the big event of that first half, first half was Jamal Musiala going down with yet another muscular injury. Thomas Muller came in the 40th minute for Musiala. This is a situation with Musiala where it's becoming a little bit troubling because I believe this is the third time this season he will miss at least some practice time and probably game time with a muscular injury. And for someone who is not muscle bound, who is not overly big and carrying a lot of weight, it's a little bit concerning to me because Musiala's game has always been built around his lifeness, if that's a word, and his ability to react and make moves in quick spaces and to maneuver around defenders uh being as slight as he is i would hope and i would think that there's a large focus on flexibility for him given how much of a beating that he's going to take every game Uh, it appears though that something's going on with his body that is creating these muscular injuries pulls strains etc that are sidelining him. And I, I, part of me wonders if it's the regimen or routine that he's on at Bayern Munich, if there's something he could be doing differently, or maybe it's that he's not paying as much attention to those things as he, as he should. It also could just be horrific luck that he's experiencing some uh, just bad moments where he's getting these pulls and strains. But I think given that this has happened now a few times this season, Byron's going to have to start looking at ways to mitigate this. They're going to have to probably get the physios together and develop some kind of more intense or more thorough stretching program for Musiala. You don't want to see a player like him on the sidelines. You don't want to see this become a recurring thing because he's obviously an important player. And while, you know, I've been saying for weeks now, he hasn't been at his best consistently He's still someone the team relies on. He brings so many good things to the table that it's just a shame to see him sidelined for what you know I consider needless injuries. I mean, I think a lot of pulls and strains, and I'm not saying in all cases, but in many cases can be prevented or at least mitigated with more intense stretching, a bigger focus on stretching and pli- stretching and pliability. For footballers, it's so important. Uh, it's not as if this is baseball or basketball where I know there's running in each of those sports, but you see far less muscular injuries in, in those sports than you do in European football. American football is its own injury riddled mess. Can't even compare anything to that, but I would think that Musiala going down this road with yet another injury, hopefully there's some change to what his approach is and how he's handling his flexibility and stretching. And hopefully the team can get him on not just a better stretching and flexibility program, but also more focus on recovery. Uh, Byron being the club that it is, has so many different recovery methods and tools that the players can use. Hopefully Musial is taking advantage of them. And if he's not, hopefully he starts to, because this is uh, something that's going to be very important for Bayern Munich down the stretch. Given the amount of injuries they've already had, they need to keep everybody healthy moving forward. But we went into halftime 0-0 and Bayern Munich was down a man with Musiala going out. So 
it really did have the feeling that this was going to be a match where it was going to be decided on a late goal and that chances were it was going to be a kind of a fluky thing. But in a crazy way, the two teams battled through the second half. Byron looked worse and worse. Galatasaray, I thought, actually was the better team for the majority of the second half. So in the 72nd minute, we did see Thomas Tuchel start to make a couple of subs. Conrad Limer came in for Dio Upamakano. Upamakano has not been cleared to play three straight games and probably has not been medically uh, approved to play as much as he has so far. So I know Tuchel has some interesting decisions to make heading into Heidenheim this weekend, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Upamakano was taken out most likely because it's just precautionary at this point. And the fact that the match against Galatasaray wasn't really going to determine anything one way or the other, if things had had worked out poorly for Bayern Munich, Bayern was still going to be able to control where it was headed in the Champions League competition in terms of placement within the group. Uh, at the same time, Matthias Tell came in for Matisse Tell came in for Leroy Sané. Sané is one of those games for Sané where he wasn't bad by any means, but it wasn't to me as good a performance as we've seen from him again he looked like and i would say this about the entire team they struggled with their decision making in the final third for the majority of the match and i thought sane was a contributor to that he looked indecisive at times uh, i don't think he always made the best decisions but i would say that about just about all of the team musiala thomas muller kingsley coman even harry kane I didn't really love the way that they functioned in the final third. And I thought Sané played a big role in that. Just I just didn't think he was that good on the day. Uh, but again, nothing to be overly concerned about. It just wasn't his day. As far as that goes, I mean, we did see Matisse Tell come in and, you know, listen, he came in and provided a spark as he always seems to do. <laughs> he has become a really good impact player on the bench, off the bench, so much so that I think he functions better as a sub rather than when he gets his starting role opportunities. So I think Tuchel has really found something there. Now it's just a matter of is of him being able to convince Tell that this is the best role for him at the moment and, and try and keep the youngster engaged knowing that he'll probably be a, a consistent bench player rather than getting starting opportunities just because of how much better he's been. Uh, when we saw Tell come in and it did spark things, Galatasaray at this point I thought started to wear down just a little bit. And that led to a free kick attempt from Yeshua Kimmich, which was just outside the box. And Kimmich placed a perfect ball in, which Harry Kane was able to head into the net to give Byron a one nil lead in the 80th minute. Uh, VAR did check it and Kane was not offside. It's debatable whether anyone else from Byron Munich was offside and how that played any role in interfering with things or affecting things. But either way, it was clean from Kimmich to Kane. And that was a, a very, uh, needed goal and it was also i mean honestly in a match where the in free play they really couldn't get much going that was going to be either a threat or be uh, a good attempt <laughs> byron needed something off of their much maligned set pieces and yashua Kimmich, who has been hammered for his set piece taking ability was able to to provide the nice ball in there so that was very uh i guess 
it was very good to see, obviously, but it also uh, gave fans a reason to exhale a little bit. Just a few minutes later in the 86th minute, we saw a tremendous play from Thomas Muller to Matisse Tell to Harry Kane. Tic-tac-toe, boom, 2 nothing. It really, to me, was just tremendous. It took all of that pressure off of Bayern Munich. Maybe a little bit too much pressure off of Bayern, given the way they played afterward. But 2-0 and Bayern could really sense that they were done with the match. You know, if they could just close out strong, everything would be okay. Serge Gnabry came in for Kingsley Coman in the 87th minute. Not enough time to really gauge how Gnabry looks. I, I still don't think he's all the way back. I, I would prefer not to see him play until he's 100% because I don't think they need him to play until he's 100%. Tuchel has options. There is no reason for Gnabry to be out there. Even if he's at 95%, just give him the extra rest that he needs. Why take the risk when you're already so banged up? But, of course, Galatasaray used that extra time that was put on to the back end of the game. Cedric Bakambu, <laughs> I'm probably butchering that, and I can't remember how they pronounce it on the broadcast, but he was able to get through. Uh, bad turnover by Thomas Muller uh, to needlessly give the ball away. I don't really know what Muller was thinking, but Sergio Oliveira was able to send in a great ball to Bakambu, and, and that was uh, a really nice play for Galatasaray. It made it 2-1. That's how the game would end. I, I, again, I'll, I'll come away and I'll say this. The Turkish side really, really impressed me with how they played. And they gave Bayern Munich everything that they could handle. And I think if you take anything out of it, it's that if this team is able to make it through, which is a possibility at this point, given the way that Manchester United has choked things up in the group, uh, this is going to be a team that could give some other clubs a problem in the next round of the competition. As for Bayern Munich, didn't love it. Did not love that game. Did not love the effort. What I did love is that they were persistent and resilient and they did battle back and get the win. And we've been sitting here all season saying a win is a win is a win. You just have to keep compiling those wins. But in the back of my mind, I keep saying this doesn't look good. Why are they not giving Kane the ball more? Why can't they realize when they give Kane the ball more in the final third, they're better? Why does Kane feel like he has to drop in to be a number six to get the ball? It's driving me crazy. Why can't they shore up those defensive weaknesses that they've had? Why can't they be more aware and more positionally efficient? Why can't they function better in the midfield all the time? Although I didn't think the midfield was bad at all against Galatasaray. These are all things that have bothered me all season. And as we go on and those things don't improve in the back of my head, I just know at some point those are all going to come back and they're going to haunt Bayern Munich at the worst time. And whether that's the next round of this competition or further down the line, Bayern Munich has all the talent that they need. They have every good functioning piece to make a serious run at Manchester city and Real Madrid to be one of those top three teams in this competition. But there are those little things that they don't hurt you in certain games. They're certainly not going to hurt you against Darmstadt or even Copenhagen or Galatasaray. But they are going to hurt you against Madrid. They're going to painfully kill you against a team like Manchester City. I need Tuchel to fix those. I need the players to get better. And make no mistake, this is a combination. It's not all Tuchel's fault. It's not all the players' fault. 
this is a conglomeration of those two things. They need to work together. Tuchel needs to find a way to reach them. The players need to be more open about taking instruction from Tuchel. And they all need to get better at applying it on the actual field because right now it's just not good enough. And I know that might sound ungrateful and it might sound like I'm just sitting here bitching and moaning for no reason, but I'm not. You can see it. I can see it. They're getting wins, but they're flawed in a lot of ways. And if those things, those flaws do not change, this is going to be a very painful ending for Bayern Munich. We've already seen it come to hurt them in the Pokal. They're not in the driver's seat at the, in the Bundesliga at the moment. And the Champions League is filled with a lot of potential pitfalls. This team needs to be better. And in the end, if they don't get better, this is going to be a similar ending to what we saw the previous couple of seasons here. So that'll about do it for wrapping up the post-game report from the Galatasaray match. We're going to take a quick break and come back and preview Bayern Munich versus Heidenheim, which we will see this weekend. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. As you know, this is a combo show. The first segment, we took care of the post-game report following Bayern Munich's 2-1 victory over Galatasaray in the Champions League. Now we are going to hit on Bayern Munich and giving you a preview of the Bavarians as they prepare to take on Heidenheim in the Bundesliga. As always, we start with where each team is in the table. Bayern Munich sitting in second place behind Leverkusen. Through 10 match days, Bayern Munich has eight wins, two draws. That is good for 26 points, two points behind Leverkusen. Bayern Munich has 38 go- goals for, seven against. That's a goal differential of 31. Leverkusen has just been a little bit better. Doesn't mean Bayern Munich's been bad. They've actually, you know, they're winning games and they're getting the results that they need. So credit to them. Leverkusen's just been that much sharper. Just a little bit, two points worth to be exact. And uh, I think that's fair for where things stand at the moment. As for Heidenheim, uh, recently promoted through 10 match days. They have three wins, one draw, six losses. That's good for 10 points. That ties them with both Borussia Mönchengladbach and Werder Bremen. The difference is that Heidenheim has a goal differential of minus seven because they have 15 goals for 22 against. Over the over the past five match days, Heidenheim has two wins and three losses last week. They uh, stunned Stuttgart, the upstart Stuttgart, two nil. And uh, Heidenheim is is not a bad team but they are going to be woefully outmatched against the talent level and speed that they will face against Bayern Munich. It'll be very interesting to see how Heidenheim approaches this. Of course, if I am one of these teams and I'm facing that big red juggernaut, I'm probably looking at myself and saying, how can I walk out of this with a point? And I I, I always tend to lean on that in these previews because I think when you have a team like Bayern that just is too much of a... I guess I should say problem for everyone in the Bundesliga. It's tough to think about how a team like Heidenheim, listen, this is a a good team. They are a hardworking team. They're just not as good as Bayern Munich. It's tough to think how they would approach this, knowing they can't go punch for punch with the Bavarians. Heidenheim has its work cut out for. Uh, Even when you look up and down the roster, you're not looking at a lot of household names should i say frank schmidt has done a a, i I think a good job with this unit because he's gotten them to a point where they're not in the 16th 17th 18th place in the table at the moment 
they're they're you know three wins out of ten while not great is certainly uh better than it could be uh for you Americans out there you might want to take uh a look at uh one of the well the only American on the team it's Leonard Maloney who is 24 he's a defender uh he is player under contract tied time through 2025 so uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a subplot there, uh, perhaps you could take a look at Maloney. Uh, you won't probably know a hell of a lot of other players on the roster. And I think that's how Heidenheim likes it this season, because I think that they want to have a collective mentality. They don't want any one person to be rising above the rest. If they're going to be able to build something that will make them stay in the top flight, they are going to have to function that way. So, Hopefully, Heidenheim, for their sake, is able to get that mentality together in time to face Bayern Munich, but that is no easy task. As for Bayern coming into this match, we know where they're at after playing in the Champions League. We know where they're at after destroying Borussia Dortmund last weekend, but it's really a Jekyll and Hyde case for Bayern. Which team are we going to see? Are we going to see that motivated attacking team that plays with urgency like we saw against Dortmund? Are we or are we going to see the team that kind of gallivants and prances around and takes time off and doesn't exactly play the way that they need to do to win like we saw for so long in the game against Galatasaray? I think the talent gap for this match is so wide that Bayern is going to be able to walk away with this one. I don't ever feel confident in saying that this season because we know Byron is prone to uh, running straight into roadblocks rather than hurtling them. But this is, this is a match that Byron should be taking care of for sure. I think that the Bavarians are, are poised even being a little bit banged up to be able to take care of Heidenheim on their home turf. So let's take a look at how we think Thomas Tuchel is going to send his boys out for this match. This is actually a time where I think Tuchel is going to do a little bit of rotating and he's going to rotate some things in a, in a weird way, I would say. So I think, you know, we're going to see Manuel Neuer back in between the sticks because Neuer needs that game time. I thought he was excellent against Galatasaray, to be honest with you. I think that he is uh, really shaking off the rust and and looking good. I didn't expect him to really look this good coming back. I didn't know what we were going to see but it doesn't appear that he's really lost a step so far. I know he can get better and there's some things with his agility that he's probably still working on, but uh, so far so good from Neuer and he'll get the call because this is what he does. He he wants to be out there every single game. The back line is where things get interesting uh, for his up and down of a season as Alfonso Davies has had. I think he'll get the call at left back. I think Nusarma's rally will get the call right back at center back. This is where it gets interesting. Dio Upamakano, his injury status is still up in the air. He has not been formally approved to play on three days rest. He is coming off of an injury, which honestly, you don't want to see him have any type of regression or take a step back due to re-injuring himself. If I'm Thomas Tuchel, I'm sitting Upa Meccano this match because I just want him healthy. I want the whole team healthy, but at this point with so many people banged up, I think you have to play it smart with Upa, Upa Meccano because you cannot afford to have one other major injury. So I would go with Kim Min-Jay and Leon Goretzka as the center backs. I know that sounds absurd. 
it's it's really not absurd because we've seen Tuchel roll Goretzka out there, but I think that's how he's going to go with this. I think Tuchel, while he still doesn't like Goretzka, he does at this point at least realize Goretzka's value on the field. I know Goretzka was getting hammered a bit because he <laughs> turned into the pseudo striker against Galatasaray. He was sometimes higher than Kane. Uh, to me, it's it's the whole broken function of how things work at Bayern Munich. I mean, that should rarely be the case, but I think we saw it happen a lot. And I don't put all of that on Goretzka. I put some of that on Kane. I put some of it on Tuchel. I put some of it on the other players around those two. But, uh, you know, it'll be one way for, for Tuchel to ensure Goretzka doesn't get past Kane on the pitch is to put him at center back. So Kim and Jay and Goretzka there. In the midfield, I think we're going to see Conrad Limer and Alexander Pavlovich. I think Pavlovich is a player who Tuchel seems to like. I think this is a good chance to give him an opportunity against a team like Heidenheim. I don't know if he's fully ready for this, but he's going to get his opportunity. Uh, he'll be partnered up with Limer, who has been up and down as well. Given that Kimmich is suspended for this match, you don't have him as an option. The only other thing I could see Tuchel doing is going with a back three to try and alleviate some of these issues, but I'm not quite sure he's going to do that. Uh, I think he'll end up using Pavlovich and Limer in the midfield. Franz Kratzig, unfortunately, did not handle his own situation well when he had the opportunity to start, so don't think he'll be getting the call again at that spot in the midfield anytime soon. As far as the attack goes, we know that Jamal Musiala is banged up, unlikely to play. I mean, it's not been completely ruled out at the time of this recording, but I think we can ascertain that Musiala is going to get a rest whether he wants one or not, regardless of the severity of his injury. To me right now, I hate playing doctor, but I would say this looks like something that's a three or four week injury, that kind of pull. I'm just going on experience. I'm not a doctor. You know, I don't think anyone would want to see me play one on television. But uh, just having been around many different sports, it seems like that's about the length. I mean, maybe Byron gets lucky and it's more of a two and a two and a half or two and a half week injury. That would be great. But uh, three to four weeks seems to be about the timetable. So we'll see Thomas Muller in that role, which I think will make a lot of people happy. Hopefully Muller and Kane can start to build up some kind of rapport. They definitely were not on the same page all the time against Galatasaray. And I think that's one of the things that Byron needs to improve on because I, I don't necessarily think Musiala has always been on the same page with Kane either. I think the team's been a little bit slow to integrate Kane in terms, and this sounds ridiculous because he's got so many goals and assists already. But I think honestly, if, if he was getting the type of service that he deserves, he, he would be blowing the roof off of all of Europe with his production. And once Byron decides to make that step as a team to make Kane that focal point, his production is going to be even more incredible than it already is. So Muller and Kane will be that attacking partnership there. On the wings, I think this is where you could maybe see a little bit of rotation. I think Tuchel wants to get Gnabry in for as much as you know. I'm all about sitting Gnabry until he's 100%. I think we're going to see Sané and Gnabry play this match. I think Coman will take a seat. And that will wrap up the starting 11. So we'll see how that works. Neuer as the goalkeeper, Goretzka and Kim Min-Jay as a center back combo, Alfonso Davies and Nusar Mizrahi outside back, Conrad Limer and Alexander Pavlovich in the midfield, Thomas Muller as the 10, Matisse, I'm sorry, Serge Gnabry and Leroy Sané at the wings and Harry Kane at striker. I was toying around with putting Matisse Tell in there as a starting role, but um you know, I think Tuchel likes him off the bench and he could get a significant amount of time in the second half 
as a sub. At least that's how I'm predicting it. As far as the match goes, I think Bayern Munich, despite the fact I'm going against what my brain is telling me that this is going to end up being harder than it should be. I think Bayern, for some reason, is going to come out. They're going to come out aggressive. They're going to get a couple of goals early, and it's going to open the floodgates. I think this is going to be a 5-0 victory. At least that's how I see it. Like I said, I'm torn on this. It's either going to be like two nil and Byron scuffles, and and we get on, you know, and we talk next week, and I'm bitter about Byron having another choppy match, or Byron's going to rush in, take care of business, and set itself up nicely for next week. So that's where I see things, and uh, yeah, should be a good weekend if Byron can pull out a five nil victory, like I'm predicting. We're gonna take another quick break, and then we'll be right back with the final segment of this show. Appreciate your patience. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. If you hung with us through the first two segments, you heard our takes on the Galatasaray match in the Champions League and also the preview of Heidenheim for the Bundesliga this weekend. Now, just a couple of quick topics that we want to hit on just to shore things up for the week. Uh, Robert Lewandowski, <laughs> right? Uh, he's been struggling a bit eh, in, 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 in the La Liga with FC Barcelona. Uh, Lewandowski, man... One of the things that I said when he made the move, and I, listen, I still think he's a top-tier striker. I think he's one of the top talents in the world. He, he is absolutely a guy that you need to be aware of all the time. But one of the things I worried about when he made this move was going to Barcelona. Was he going to be in, in an environment surrounded by teammates that were going to provide him the service that he needs to be successful? Now, we saw in his last season at Bayern Munich under Julian Nagelsmann, how the tide had started to turn in terms of how his teammates were feeding him the ball. It was very irritating for Lewandowski. It was very frustrating as a viewer, to be honest, because all of a sudden we're seeing Leroy Sané and Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry and Jamal Musiala just take a ton of shots. And I mean, let's be honest, the production wasn't as great as the shot totals were. I didn't love how Bayern played at times during Robert Lewandowski's last season. And I think Lewandowski himself was probably on the fence about whether or not he should stay at Bayern Munich, but the way that the team was playing around him, I think it fully convinced him that he needs to get the hell out. So it, it is certainly a situation where uh, he needed to leave probably, but I don't know if Barca was the right move. I'm sure from a marketing standpoint, Lewandowski was expecting his star to explode. It has not done that. Uh, as an older guy, uh, a, a star from Poland who doesn't have that worldwide appeal that you might think a younger player would have, I don't think he ultimately is getting what he wanted out of that move in terms of building his brand. From a footballing standpoint, uh, I Need No Name has done a piece for us uh, stating some of Lewandowski's stats this season and in, in, in La Liga in the Champions League, he has 13 appearances and he's only scored six goals and has four assists. And he's he's in a drought right now. His last goal was back in September. Uh, it's been six games. He is. This is unlike Robert Lewandowski. I mean, this is a guy who was a production machine. Now he's at Barca. And he's not getting that same kind of service. He's not the focal point. I mean, this is similar to what's going on with Kane right now in some ways, except Kane has been fantastic. Lewandowski seems like he could be going through one of these funks where he starts to pout a little bit. And when he lets that kind of stuff get to him, 
he does become an average striker rather than the great striker that we'd all seen play for Bayern Munich for so long. And yes, he's getting older. There's no doubt that he's going to lose a step if he hasn't already lost a step or two. This is a, a, a guy who he, he takes care of himself. He's in peak physical condition all the time, but father time's a bitch. He catches up with everybody. He punched me in the face several times. Every day I wake up in pain and I'm just some dork behind a keyboard Robert Lewandowski is a world-class athlete and even he is struggling with this so Lewandowski of course with these struggles is now being linked to an MLS move and I want to be the first one to put this out there and you all remember this if you've been around BFW for a while I, I wrote a whole piece about Aryan Robin and how he should make the move to the Philadelphia Union and I was disappointed that that Robin never made that jump to MLS. And I get why he didn't, given the stage of his career that he was at and how he wanted to stay in Europe. And he did some, you know, went back to his boyhood club. He had a lot of other objectives. For Lewandowski, though, this is a guy that's been so focused on building his brand, even if it is a bit misguided because he's not as popular as he probably thinks he is. He, he is eyed up going to the United States, playing in MLS. Specifically, he wants to play for LA, LAFC or the LA Galaxy. That would be a mistake. Why go to LA? Why deal with all that traffic, all that nonsense? Who wants to be involved with Hollywood and all that? Come to Philadelphia, Robert Lewandowski. Yes, the stadium is actually in Chester, but it's still a good spot. It's right under a bridge. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of good folk you can meet living under that bridge, but they need a player like you. And this is a good union team. This is a very solid MLS side. And it's not to say that he would come in and, you know, everyone would bow down to him. He would be a great fit. And I think given the way that he is a professional and that he works out and, and that he could really sustain a good level of athleticism and I guess longevity to his career, this would be a great place to see Robert Lewandowski right out the last two or three years of his career. I personally am all in favor of it. I would endorse it. There is a good Polish bakery. They ha they can get you all of the, the, the Polish food that you want, all that specialty food. It, and it's only a town over from Chester. So it's not that far from the stadium. So Robert Lewandowski, I'm going to put this out there. If you make this move and you're considering MLS, go to the union, lead their attack for the next couple of years. We'll meet up for a beer too. Maybe a pint we'll go and, and I'll show you the bakery and we can hang out and it'll be a great time. And we'll get some pictures, take some selfies. Be all we could put we could plaster it all over the BFW website. Now, of course, uh, I say this in jest because I'm also the person that once said uh Robert Lewandowski is a is a huge jerk and but Byron needs him anyway. Uh so he, I might not be on his list of people to meet, but it would be kind of funny to have an encounter with him just anywhere in Delco if if you are from Pennsylvania, you certainly have heard of and know of Delco, which is where I reside. So uh, Lewandowski would be great to see him in Philadelphia playing for the union. I'm going to spearhead that. If these rumors start to really take motion, I'm going to be all over that. And we'll probably have a couple of posts on BFW about it because that would be awesome for me. I would be uh, even more engaged than I am. And I currently am not an Apple TV subscriber because I just have too many services at the moment from cable to Netflix to Amazon prime to whatever. Like I've got too many. I can't possibly add anything else. So my MLS viewing has definitely went down the tubes this season, but 
I would be inclined if Lewandowski made the move to the Philadelphia Union to subscribe right away. So MLS, if you needed to know you need another subscriber, make it happen. <laughs> now on to something a little bit more serious. Uh, we heard again this week more rumors about Yeshua Kimmich and the potential for a move to Manchester City. And, you know, we've talked about Kimmich quite a few weeks on this show, and we've talked about how some of the reasons that could be influencing the moves, disagreements with Tuchel, Tuchel not seeing Kimmich as a six, Kimmich being very irritable and really hot-tempered at times. When it comes to these kind of things, he could be just in a mindset where if he doesn't feel in sync with Tuchel, he could be looking to move on. Now, Kimmich acts as his own agent, so everything with Kimmich is probably on point in terms of what you're hearing because he doesn't have a team working behind him to to plant these rumors and to be strategic if Joshua Kimmich has enough time in his day to deal with three kids or however many he has now uh, a partner uh, working out to stay in shape playing as a professional athlete if he has enough time to to work sources and leak stories and this kind of nonsense uh, then he is much uh, more efficient with his time than I am and I think I'm a pretty good uh, example of someone who's good at time management, given my normal day-to-day schedule. If if Kimmich is doing all of that, then that guy should be given some kind of award for, for managing his career. I, I don't believe Kimmich's out there planning these stories. I do believe that there is some merit to them that, that Kimmich has probably let it be known that he's frustrated and that he's probably had conversations with Pep Guardiola about a potential move. And of course, you take it from there. If they actually have talked or if there's been a desire from Manchester City to bring him in, they could be leaking things. But either way, there is, in in my mind, absolute legitimacy to this. And I think given some of the statements we've seen from Byron Club executives over the past couple of days, they want to talk to Kimmich. They want to keep him in-house. They want to build around him. Kimmich, though, is all of a sudden from... The, I guess the last six to eight months has really turned into a bit of a whipping boy. Uh, with the German national team, he's taken a lot of heat. With Bayern Munich, he's taken a lot of heat. From pundits, from fans, it, it, it mostly from fans, but it, it has become a situation where Kimmich has sort of become a scapegoat along with Leon Gretzka for just about everything that goes wrong with Bayern Munich, and that has gone wrong with Germany. Now, there are some... I guess, reasons why people feel that way. And some of those are absolutely legitimate. Kimmich has not always been at his best. There are some parts of his game that can be detrimental to how Bayern Munich wants to function if he doesn't improve them. There are issues, but this is still a great player. This is still someone who is immensely popular in the Bayern Munich locker room, but it's also someone who's absolutely not going to put himself in a situation where he is not 100% taking care of and doing what he wants to do. That's the one thing that that Yashua Kimmich has in this situation is that power. Bayern knows that Kimmich, if he is unhappy, will not stick around, despite the fact he's got 85 kids now or whatever who are probably settled into their lives nicely. Kimmich is driven. He's intense. And if he thinks that he's going to be in a better spot at Manchester City, it very well could happen. So if I'm Bayern Munich, I'm paying very close attention to what's going on. I'm probably talking to Thomas Tuchel a little bit about some of the statements that he's made, because if you truly do want to retain Kimmich, you have to make the decision. Is he going to be your six or your eight? 
Because if he's not going to be your six and that's where he wants to be, it's going to be extremely hard to retain him. And I think that's where this is all going to lead. Uh, Kimmick's going to need some kind of commitment that he's a six. Kimmick is also going to want some assurance that whoever they bring in in January or whoever they might bring in the future is not going to push him up to the eight spot. So I do believe in the rumors uh, linking Kimmick to Manchester City. And I think that, you know, these are all things that could happen. And it's not out of the realm of possibility when you look at Real Madrid or even FC Barcelona as places where Kimmick could land and make a great impact to those teams. And I don't think if Kimmick made that move to any of those places, he would be so locked in on playing the six like he is at Bayern Munich. I think part of this is ego driven because Kimmich views himself as the six. It's his Jersey number. This is his identity. Now at Bayern Munich, he doesn't want to lose that identity. And I think if Bayern Munich or Thomas Tuchel decided they're going to try and strip him of that, they might as well just count him out completely because I do think at that point he will move on. That's about all we have for this week's episode of the weekend warm up. Thanks for hanging in there with the crazy format, combining a few shows into one. I hope you enjoyed that. I would love to hear your takes on how Byron played against Galatasaray. I would love to hear what you think is going to happen this weekend against Heidenheim. So as always, reach out to me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. Hit me up with comments to this post on BFW, and and I certainly love uh, interacting with you guys and responding to things that you have to say. Uh, You can get the site on Twitter at Bavarian Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tom Adams, at TommyAdams71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. And like I always say, check out BavarianFootballWorks.com. We do an excellent job of covering everything Bayern Munich and German national team related. Uh, A lot of good different opinions, a lot of good different writers. So you're not just getting one voice. And we do make it a a point that not everybody's got to be me. Not everybody's got to have the same ideas or the same voice as the site manager. It's a very open platform. So very often you see people who don't agree with me uh, on there and putting out opinions. That's why we run it all because it's not just a site for one person or one way of thinking. It's a site for a lot of different thoughts and a lot of different ways to exchange thoughts. And that includes you in the community. So I know that we personally love getting all the interaction and hearing what you guys think, not just about what we write, but just what you think in general. It doesn't need to be prompted by something we write. Any thoughts you guys have proactively when you put them out there, it usually generates a little bit of conversation. So we appreciate all of that. Uh, Listen, enjoy the match this weekend against Heidenheim. Hopefully it's a romp like I think it will be. Uh, You guys have been great as an audience and you are continually driving BFW to be better and better. And we appreciate that. Have a couple of beers on me. We'll see you next time.